Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now we're going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful week so far. A lot of stuff that I want to get into today. I'm going to be talking about a bunch of trailers that have come out over the last couple of days for some major blockbusters, both in film and on the television front that are going to be coming out to start off 2022 and also to end the year as well. Some major confirmations ahead in the MCU, some first look details at Black Adam that came from Total Film, and of course, my usual when I do my podcast right now, I'm starting off a brand new section called Award Season Roundup, so everything that's going on with the beginning of award season, I'm going to be getting into, and of course, doing my annual weekend preview for things that are coming up this weekend that you should be excited to check out in theaters and on streaming as well. But the first thing that I want to do, as I usually do when I start my podcast on Wednesdays, is of course go over the latest episode of Hawkeye and this week was the fourth episode of the MCU series and it was titled Partners Am I Right? And it's kind of first off hard to believe that we are now really halfway through Hawkeye and, and I think I hope one day as the MCU television shows keep going that maybe Kevin Feige and the creative team over there at Marvel Studios decide that you know what we don't have to stick to the six episode model we can go to 10 episodes episodes or 15 episodes, which I don't know if they'll do that, but maybe a max of 10 episodes that we can do or eight episodes, because I do feel sometimes that they are kind of constrained a little bit with six episodes. And there's so much going on in this show that we pick up in episode four that with just two episodes left, I feel the same way that I felt with Loki and with the Falcon, the Winter Soldier. And even with nine episodes of WandaVision, that story was able to be fleshed out a whole lot more. But it really was with Falcon and Loki that I just felt like they they try to rush everything towards the very end of the show. And I feel like that is what we're going to be leading towards with Hawkeye. But regardless of what happens with the last two episodes, and again, it's crazy to think that we're already there, I really did enjoy this episode. And I've really been a big fan of this show for the most part in its first three episodes. I know people weren't big fans of the first two. They loved the third episode. I was a big fan of it. And I really did like this this fourth episode that appeared. And it definitely isn't doesn't have great action, big action set pieces. There is one at the very end, which is incredible. But again, this is a non-spoiler review, so I'm not going to get into what happens. But great sequence that shows up and another great directing job by Burt and Birdie who really kind of were the spotlights in episode three last week and they really did a good job not coming from any kind of action background or this kind of big blockbuster mentality that even these shows have. They haven't worked on those before, and again, it's Marvel Studios just being able to do a great job, not just with their casting, but also finding these diamond-in-the-rough directors that you don't don't know anything about and then make stars of them, kind of like what they did with the Russo brothers, and, and they were able to spotlight James Gunn and, and Taika Waititi, and the list goes on and on, and hopefully the the, the directing duo, Burton and Bernie, are, are showcased after what they've been able to do just with two episodes so far, and they do a great job with this episode, but it's really about the smaller intimate character moments in this episode and i think this 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 one further showcases just how great of a pairing and the chemistry is between both clint barton and 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 kate bishop and the chemistry between 
Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld is off the charts and it's highlighted here. I love the intimacy that they're able to share as kind of this this mentor mentee and just take a few beats and and there's nothing that really progresses the 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 story really moving forward but it progresses the relationships and I think that's been a big proponent of again not just Loki excuse me not Loki but not just with Hawkeye but with the other MCU shows is that a big part of the the story isn't the actual story itself but it's the the relationships that are formed throughout all of these shows so far in 2021 that we've gotten with the MCU and this one just continues to highlight that as well I love we get more of a look at the the Bishop family and and again kind of see the smaller beats the intimate beats that we we got to see glimpses of in the first three episodes but this one it really kind of slows it down takes its time and I think being able to kind of showcase that I think will help in the long run with the last two episodes of the show being able to care for these characters a little bit more and 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 rooting for them in places that maybe we weren't expecting to root for them if you first started the show and between Clinton and Kate I just you get the, the the relationship of the same old tale of never meet your heroes because sometimes they could let you down and for the most part I think Clint hasn't been a big letdown for for Kate for the most part and I love seeing that relationship where again for for Clint it's about keeping her at at arm's length a little bit but Kate wants to be let into Clint's life and wants to learn from him and I think in this you see him open up a little bit more to that in a way and I love the story arc that Clint Barton is going on with this show and I think it's one of the key aspects again of why having these shows is amazing is because Clint Barton was always a supporting character, and unfortunately, as great of an actor as Jeremy Renner is, he was kind of given the short end of the stick for a lot of the MCU in his run, from the Avengers films, and he had a a cool moment in Civil War, but nothing that could really sink your teeth into, and with this, I think everything that I get maybe Renner has wanted to do, what Feige and everyone at Marvel Studios has wanted to do with Hawkeye, they're able to do with the show, and you see, A, why they hired Renner to be Clint Barton in the first place 10 10 years ago plus when they cast him for the first Avengers film and also why Renner is a great actor in general and and the the way he's able to switch from kind of having some fun lovable time with Kate but then kind of getting serious and, and you see the pain behind him and the character for everything they've gone through and the consequences of being a hero and I think for Clint we've never been able to really kind of get into his his headspace and, and what he thinks and he's always been kind of this cloak and dagger character and we really find out so far in these in these four episodes why that is why he wants to hide his family why he doesn't want to reveal a lot about himself he's not somebody that shares the spotlight he's somebody that is more of a stealth approach uh, approach and he likes to live in the shadows a little bit more and, and Kate wants to kind of get him out of that so I think the the pullback between those two characters and even though they have some similar qualities there's a lot of differences between the two that I think works in favor of both of them together as a duo which is why I think it's again the the episode doesn't fall on its story it's falling on the characters and and you should in within this episode 
you understand why the 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 showrunner, the writers are able to do that because of the talent of the actors and being able to kind of make the audience believe in these relationships and and be invested in them. And maybe you didn't think that you were invested in them and, and why you should be invested in them. And I think this episode gives a good idea for for that investment into this. So I just think episode four did a great job of showcasing why the show is not as grand as Falcon the Winter Soldier or Loki or even something like WandaVision where that is that's a lot more intimate but you're dealing with with powers and and the mystic arts and all these crazy things and governments and it's telling this big expansive story but with Hawkeye it's set in New York City Uh, it's getting a lot of comparisons to the Netflix shows and it's not as gritty as those obviously but you can understand the comparisons to that because that didn't deal with a lot of universal consequences it just dealt with this this little pocket corner of New York City and the problems that were going on within that neighborhood and and I think that's what Hawkeye is showcasing that it's just taking place within this little area and it's just dealing with these characters and there's probably not going to be great universal consequences and there's not going to be things that uh, that like Spider-Man and No Way Home is going to deal with that have huge ramifications for the MCU, but it would have ramifications for the characters moving forward. So I just think I really like that about this episode. And I also like how, again, it's concerning, but I like how they're setting up all these additional mysteries. The big question is in just two episodes, are they going to be able to pay at least half of them off while probably setting up some things down the pipeline for probably both Clint and Kate as well. So overall, I really like this episode. It really, I love how it was able to to slow down a little bit. And some people are going to call this a filler episode and I can understand that. But I think when we've seen shows like Mandalorian come out, it, it showcases that even filler episodes have a purpose. And I think this episode for, it, it didn't have the rush of episode three and didn't give us a whole lot of details or answers on things that we are speculating about that we'll probably get in the, fin- in the final two weeks. But it was able to take its time, breathe a little bit. And I think that is why these shows can work and do what they need to do because we're over four hours at the, at this point in this story. You wouldn't be able to tell this in a two and a half hour setting, even let alone two hours. So I think, again, you're allowed to do these kinds of things that writers and, and directors are not able to do on film sets. So I, I really, really like this episode. Again, the ending, if you want the big action, that's where it comes into play. Again, the action sequences or the action sequence really was awesome. Not going to spoil anything, but there's a great surprise for what we're looking forward to, what we hope to see from this. And I think it delivers and it's exciting and and it promises, I think, for some great stuff to come in the final two weeks as well. But really enjoyed this episode. Highly recommend it. If you have seen the fourth episode of Hawkeye, what did you think about it? Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. Now to move away from talking about some reviews that I had for Hawkeye to move on to some trending trailers that I want to talk about that came out over the last couple of days. And to start off, I want to talk about some ones that came out over the weekend. The first one came out, I believe it was it was around Sunday evening, Sunday night. And that is the first look at Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2, or now as it is now called, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 
one. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be, it seems like, a two-part adventure that we're going to be getting, continuing the story of Miles Morales and the Spider-Verse. It seems like Lord and Miller are back as producers, a part of the creative process. There's three new directors in place for these two films that are going to be coming out now. We do have a confirmed release date of October 7th of 2022, and also it was revealed that both part one and part two have been worked on simultaneously because Lord and Miller had such a big idea for what they wanted to do for this story to continue on from the first film that they decided to work on two films, not kind of combine it and rush it. Again, being able to flesh it out into a two-parter. So I think that's really exciting. And overall, when watching the trailer, I'm all in. I mean, listen, the first Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse film was... I believe a revelation within the comic book genre, specifically also within animation and being able to make a film legitimately feel like you're you're turning the pages of a comic book film, but also are watching a film play out in in its motion and somehow feel animated but live action at the same time. De- de- deploy 2D, 3D animation, just create something so unique and fresh within the comic book genre, within the animation genre was amazing and also telling a compelling, interesting Spider-Man story that we've had some great stuff within the live action space, but this really felt like A, a love letter to Spider-Man, but also exploring the the world of Spider-Man, the, the meaning of Spider-Man, and again, the big message of the first film, anybody can wear the mask of Spider-Man. It's not just one person, it's multiple people. It can be a a noir Spider-Man. It can be a pig dressed as a spider. It can be an Afro-Latina dressing as Spider-Man like Miles is and, and doing all of this stuff. And, and even a woman like Gwen Stacy, anybody can be Spider-Man. And so I think that was such a poignant message that they were able to deliver across. It deserved the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. It clearly was that, that year. And so I've been looking forward to a, a sequel and... Again, what we saw, everyone's matured a little bit more. It seems like we're being introduced once again to Spider-Man 2099, who will be voiced by Oscar Isaac as it was confirmed in the post-credit sequence. And I think that was really cool because at first when watching that post-credit, I just thought it was going to be a throwaway because one of the great things about Into the Spider-Verse was that they had all these great Easter eggs that Spider-Man fans, including myself, were just eating up. And I didn't know if that was just one that was going to be just a throwaway post-credit sequence to have or if it was going to mean something. And clearly, it means something as it seems like 2099 Miguel is going to have a huge part of this project. And again, kind of talking about the animated sequences, I love the fact that it seems like instead of different spider people coming to Miles's universe. Miles is now going to be going across the Spider-Verse as the title intends to, to showcase. And he's gonna be going to all these different places. And what better way than, again, I think this is probably an animator's dream, a director's dream in showcasing all these different universes and different animations. And even though it's a, I believe like a two minute clip and we don't get a whole lot of story, we do get an idea of the boundaries that this team is going to be pushing across as well and and to see again all the different styles that we're going to be getting three particular ones is amazing i think again when you want to do a first look or a teaser you just want to show the potential of this film you want to get people excited about it and i think people 
are going to be really, really excited about this. I also love the relationship between Gwen and Miles. I know earlier on when when this film was in development that one of the big proponents that they wanted to evolve from the first film was this potential budding romance between Gwen and Miles. And, and clearly, the first half of this trailer is showcasing that relationship and what it's going to mean for the next couple of films. So I'm really, really excited about that. I hope we get some of the other characters from the, the first film into this one, but it seems like we're going to be exploring a whole lot of other characters, a whole lot of other universes, bringing up a lot of questions of maybe there's other potential universes, maybe the MCU, maybe the Sony-verse in a way we could be getting in this one. Into the Spider-Verse opens so much potential within... I think the comic book realm that it, I, I think the ramifications are, are being felt right now. I think with how successful that film was and how people really were able to take in the multiverse in a way from that film and people really enjoyed it. I think Sony Marvel saw that and I think they're really kind of utilizing that in the way as well. So right now, Sony has a lot of great potential right now when it seemed like they were dead in the water for a long time. They get into the the Spider-Verse. They have two successful Venom, Venom films. Morbius is coming out next month. It, there's a lot of potential within just what Sony is doing with this right now. And I think that's, again, like I said, when the deal for Spider-Man fell through, I was a little sad. And it's not just because I want to see Spider-Man in the MCU, but I think it, it takes the pressure off of Sony to have all these different cooks in the kitchen where they can have a joint a joint creative kind of flow with with what they're doing with Spider-Man in live action but they can they can kind of do all these other things at the same time and focus more on that stuff than focusing on just the main Peter Parker Spider-Man now that they have Marvel to kind of help them with that as well so I think this is where they should focus and I'm, and I'm so happy that we're getting this again we're getting more adventures with Miles Morales I hope to see him in live action soon but even in animation they've done a great job of really layering this character and giving him such depth and complexity that I'm, I'm really excited for what we're going to be seeing with this and it probably after watching the trailer and, and just to me because I haven't seen it to the Spider-Verse for so long I'm going to be seeing a couple days to for my Spider-Man marathon that I'm doing in the wake of No Way Home coming out next week but I haven't seen it in a while and I just forgot just watching the trailer how much fun I had with that film and watching this this really just kind of had all those memories flow back into me and just kind of just remember how much fun that film was so it's probably going to end up on my most anticipated list of 2022 probably really high up higher than i thought it probably would be and i really enjoyed this again it looks great it looks fun and we'll see what happens but overall a great time great trailer got i think a lot of people excited and i think one of the great things also is that Financially, the first film, Into the Spider-Verse, didn't have a lot of success. It wasn't a box office juggernaut, but I think one of the interesting things is that I think the sequel is going to perform a lot better because I think a lot lot of people have found Into the Spider-Verse over the last couple of years, and I think there's going to be more excitement than I think a lot of people might be anticipating for this film because of it showing up on Netflix and, and a lot of people liking the soundtrack and just hearing about it, the wave of buzz that came for this film. I think a lot of people have seen it and I think a lot of people are going to be excited about what's going to be happening next with this film because I hope it, it makes a lot of money. I hope it's, it's successful because I want to see more of this down the line. But overall, what did you guys think about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, the trailer for it? Let me know what you thought down below. 
and leave your thoughts. And really, I'm just going to be sticking with the with the well, kind of with the superhero realm with the next couple of excuse me with the next couple of trailers but the next one is for a sci-fi film that features some people that have abilities that are pretty cool and that is within the world of the matrix and that is of course the latest trailer for the matrix resurrections which brings back keanu reeves as neo and carrie on moss as trinity and this is the film that is right around the corner and we have tickets are now available for people to get and we have the final trailer for the film it's almost around three minutes and again usually warner brothers trailers have concerned me over the years but i think recently they've gotten a lot better because i feel like they put out these three minute trailers and i'm worried that they're going to spoil everything but for the most part these trailers have been really kind of spoiler free and that includes the matrix marketing campaign and really I have no idea what's going to be happening with this film. And I think that's for the better. I think the great thing about this movie is that it's so shrouded in mystery. We don't know what's happening. And there's been a lot of talk about Yahya Abdul-Mateen II of what kind of Morpheus is he playing? Is he playing another version, another version completely? Is he playing a younger version of Lauren Fishburne's Morbius? What's happening with this film? And we have all these new characters. It seems like Neo, after his fate in, in the final Matrix film in the early 2000s, he He's somehow back. He's plugged into the Matrix again. We don't know what's going on. And this trailer gave some ideas for what's happening. But overall, I think there's still a lot of mystery that we don't know about it. And and it really intrigues me for what this film could be. I think the action looks incredible. I think Lana, Lana Wachowski, she has done an absolutely incredible job in... And, and bringing back, I think, the love that people had for the first film with The Matrix. And the action is a big part of that. The one thing that I'm hoping for is, again, the story. I just hope the story is really, really well done. It's on the par of the first film. It brings us twists and turns and doesn't complicate things. So I think the thing with 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 revelations and res and and and, and with with revolution and, and and the two matrix films after the first one was that it became the mythology became too complicated more complicated than i think it needed to and i hope this film kind of goes back to the basics in the best way possible and we'll see where it goes but it's great to see again keanu carrie ann it seems like carrie ann is going to be the one that also doesn't know where the hell she is too and it seems like that maybe neo might have to get her out of the matrix this time around so there's a lot of different things that are going on. There's callbacks to the original film. I'm really interested in, in where this is going to go. I'm going to go see it. I'm holding out hope for it at the same time, too. The, 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 these trailers have done a good job, but again, I'm not putting my my excitement level over the moon for this, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I think the big question also is going to come from this as well, since this is also the final film that we'll be doing, the day and date release with HBO Max this year, is is how is it going to fare in the marketplace? Because the end of, of this year has a lot of films coming out. I mean, this weekend, we'll talk about it in a little bit, is West Side Story. Next weekend, of course, is arguably the biggest film, most anticipated film to come out this year in Spider-Man No Way Home. And then, of course, you have a couple of, of, of animated films to end out the year as well, some Oscar potential films to kind of get into the theater. So Matrix is going to have its hands full. And, and again, it's, it's the 
Matrix, it's a, it's a recognizable name. You have people that were in the original films that are back in this. It will get high. People will go see it. But is it going to be able to make 70, 80, 90 million dollars? Or is it going to fall a little bit shorter, making 40 or 50, which is kind of where the initial projections have fallen for the film right now? So I'm really wondering how it's going to play out in the end. And maybe would it have been smarter to have it come out in the summertime? Because I feel like The Matrix is a great film to have come out within the the month of May or June, July, maybe instead of December, especially when you have a field so crowded like this at the end of the year. So we'll see. But a major, major Retrogrades is going to have its hands full with a lot of films coming out. So we'll see how it does. But are you guys excited about it? Are you not? Let me know and leave your thoughts. And the final trailer that I want to talk about on the podcast today is the full trailer for the first DCEU show that will be on HBO Max. And that, of course, is with John Cena's Peacemaker, who first appeared in this year's The Suicide Squad, which was written and directed by James Gunn. And James Gunn also comes back to continue the story in this one, writing all eight episodes of the show and directing five out of those eight episodes, including one of them to be the pilot of the show. And uh, I- I've been interested in this, especially... After watching Suicide Squad, I thought John Cena's Peacemaker was one of the great aspects of that movie. I love how he's, he was able to tone the comedic motions of who Peacemaker is, but also towards the end of that film, he was serious and he was dangerous and terrifying in a way that I didn't think or I didn't know if Cena would be able to pull that off, and he really does do it. And I'm really interested to see how that story kind of continues on. The ramifications from the Suicide Squad into this film is going to be very interesting. It looks like a James Gunn production. And if we thought the Suicide Squad was like Warner Brothers just letting him off the chains, it seems like this is just them opening up the floodgates even more if you're able to even do that. And you're and you're able to do that also with HBO Max, even a little bit more than maybe doing it in theaters because you don't have really kind of any obligations to feature anything that you don't want to feature. So I think for James Gunn, this is a ripe opportunity. It seems like he had a blast with directing and being a part of this show. And just like he was with the Suicide Squad, and and it shows in the trailer. It definitely feels even more indie and a lot more intimate and grittier than even the Suicide Squad was. And I'm looking forward to that. It looks just bad shit, insane, just balls to the wall, violence galore. It, it just seems like it's going to be more foul than the Suicide Squad. And I'm really curious to see the journey that Peacemaker goes on. Because, again, by the end of the Suicide Squad, you don't, why would you want to go on a journey with this character? Especially the actions that were taken in the last act of that film. How can Peacemaker come back from what he does? And I think that's going to be a very interesting journey, not just for the character, but for audience members to take as well because James Gunn again is known for wanting to take all these ragtag characters and with something like the Guardians of the Galaxy where it's definitely a lot more toned down than what he did with Suicide Squad but the characters in Guardians were ragtags they were misfits they were outcasts and outlaws but he was able to make them very lovable and I think even with the Suicide Squad somebody like Bloodsport or even Polka Dot Man who if you know those characters from the comics even though they're crazy out characters they're villains and you wondered how he was going to make us 
enjoy all these villains and he and he put an emotional arc on all of them and i i'm very curious to see how he's able to do that with this one once again and being able to just have a fun time as well what kind of story is he going to tell as well and i think this is also of course a big deal for hbo max and being able to deliver on kind of their first major show on the streaming service that's a superhero property because again this is this is them kind of competing with marvel in a way and and i'm curious to see how this connects with the suicide squad how it connects with the overall dceu but it seems like it's still going to be its own thing and i think that's one of the interesting aspects between Disney Plus and HBO Max is with HBO Max, you're able to push the envelope a little bit more. And and I think one of the great things about the DCU is that right now, even though these two things are connecting, for the most part, they've really kind of been a lot of standalone films that have some Easter eggs and connections here and there, but nothing that are serious ramifications like are what are felt in the MCU. So I think I'm hoping for something that is kind of disconnected from everything that stands on its own, but curious to see how they're able to weave in the film and the television side of things as well. And I think one aspect of those that's going to be interesting is in, in a story that I'll cover a little later on with The Penguin Show. But overall, guys, again, I really like the show, or not, not, not so much the show because I haven't seen it yet, but I really like the trailer. It looks great. The characters look really cool and interesting. If James Gunn is a part of this and, and, and is directing it and writing the whole thing, then you have have my my eyeballs and my butt glued to the seat for this one for sure so overall what did you guys think about this trailer and what was your favorite trailer amongst the ones that i talked about if you have seen them was it the first look slash teaser for spider-man across the spider-verse part one was it the latest and final trailer for the matrix resurrections or was it the next trailer for dc's peacemaker let me know which one was your favorite trailer and leave your thoughts down below on that i really like to know what you guys think and keeping within the comic book world there was a lot of comic book movie news that came out this week guys it really was kind of a full-on comic book in uh, consummation really within the world of hollywood this week so to continue that going on really one of the first bits of news that kind of started off the the week was on sunday night late sunday night i literally was about to go to bed before i heard this news and i was waiting up for this scoop and this comes from us over from Cinema Blend and Sean O'Connell, who, if you have listened to the Sam Bissell podcast, I did do an interview with him when the Snyder Cut of Justice League was coming out, when his book was being released out there in lead up to the film in March. So if you guys want to check it out, you definitely can on the podcast or on my YouTube channel as well. I have the interview in video as well. But Sean, Sean O'Connell was able to get the scoop while doing press for Spider-Man No Way Home talk to Kevin Feige and he was able to get confirmed from the man himself that Charlie Cox will be the MCU's daredevil whenever he he does show up within the Marvel Cinematic Universe and this comes again from us over from Cinema Blend and this is the quote that Kevin Feige gave when Sean asked the question if you were to see daredevil in upcoming things Charlie Cox yes would be the actor playing daredevil where we see that how we see that when we see that remains to be seen so this is major 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 news that will send and has sent shockwaves for all fans 
of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because everyone has been wanting Charlie Cox to reprise the role of Daredevil because he did such an incredible job on the Netflix series. And if you know the history of the behind the scenes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Kevin, even though it had the label of Marvel on there, and they did reference some things that happened from the Battle of New York, the, the Hell's Kitchen characters never, Kevin Feige never wanted anything to do with the with that the television side of things. And that includes even Agent Carter and, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC. There was a very much a different dichotomy from what was happening with the television stuff and what was happening with the film stuff. So even though the television stuff was connected to the films, the films never connected to the television shows like they're doing now on Disney. Plus, and that included the Netflix shows, and a lot of people really loved those those shows, and I was one of them. I loved what they did w- with Daredevil for all three seasons, and I was a big fan of Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. I think they did a really good job of establishing that little corner in Hell's Kitchen really, really well, and. You have, of course, the the 2003 film with Ben Affleck. And as much as I love Ben Affleck, not his finest hour playing Matthew Murdoch. I think Charlie Cox was able to deliver something more nuanced and and was able to show the conflicting manner of being somebody that's a vigilante. And basically, in, in the universe that it was set in, Charlie, the Daredevil was essentially kind of the the Batman of the Marvel universe, and that we in the universe in a way within that show, grounded and gritty, dealing with with mobs and crime and and corruption within New York City. It dealt with a lot of things that kind of Nolan's Batman trilogy dealt with, with in, in terms of the DC universe. So I, I really think that people gravitated towards that character and, and how he played both Daredevil and Matthew Murdock. And people want to see that moving forward. And we could potentially be getting more characters from that universe if you've seen Hawkeye before. So there, there there's now potential in which I, I think Kevin Feige being the master that he is, always listening to the fans, what the fans really want to see and somehow working within the MCU. MCU, now that the, the contract is now up because once Disney Plus was coming around and, and the MCU was going to create shows for it, they kind of terminated all the shows that were on Netflix and they kind of terminated the contract that they had with, with the streaming service in favor of working with the company that the studio was under over at Walt Disney. And they decided because of that, there's kind of a two-year period that they could not use in the characters whatsoever. And I believe it was either... It was in 2019 or 2020 when that contract was completely let go of, and it was no longer void. Now Marvel can use those characters if they want to, and people have been wondering, could where could we potentially see Matthew Murdock? Where we, could we potentially see... Vincent D'Onofrio or, or the Kingpin in a way and could it be these actors coming back to maybe not play those specific versions but versions like that that we know they just they know how to play those characters so really well and it seems like Kevin Feige agrees with that and we're going to be seeing Daredevil somewhere within the MCU specifically Charlie Cox now the big thing that you have to also realize with this is Kevin Feige did not say where specifically Daredevil and and Matthew Murdoch would be appearing within the MC because there have been rumors going around that Charlie Cox and, and Matthew Murdoch, they're going to be appearing in Spider-Man No Way Home. And this is not Kevin Feige confirming that. However, with all the rumors and things that have been going on with Spider-Man No Way Home, that is one of the things that has, has been rumored to come out about the film. 
and you it gives some potentiality in that maybe just maybe spider-man is where we get a little bit of an introduction to this version of matthew murdoch that is officially integrated into the marvel cinematic universe and i think one of the other interesting places of where could matt murdoch slash daredevil pop up in is one of the ones that i got my first indication even before no way home was that within She-Hulk because she because Jessica Walters is a, a lawyer and and Kevin Feige even said that there's there could be a lot of potential in crossing over and 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 introducing characters that we might not even know within the MCU and the first one that I went right to right away was Matt Murdock because again they're in the same profession they're doing the same thing so it would make sense if she's in New York he's in New York that they would somehow cross paths within that so wouldn't surprise me we probably see him not maybe not as daredevil but definitely as matt murdoch within the she hulk show on disney plus and there could be some other disney plus shows that he pops up in and some movies as well there's a whole now that this is confirmed and and confirmed by the man himself there's a lot of places that we could potentially see matt murdoch appear in and charlie cox specifically that's the big news it's not even daredevil coming back in the mcu but the guy that people wanted to continue to play this character is coming back to play this character character so that's some really exciting news i'm really really happy for the one and only charlie cox because again he did have such a fascinating job and and it wasn't the show's fault that it ended because season three was a fantastic season i think the numbers from what i remember did pretty well for that third season and i think they would have continued doing more i think there was a potentiality for the fourth season but because of the 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 ending of the relationship and the partnership between netflix and marvel studios and the fact that the TV side of things was absorbed into Marvel Studios and under Kevin Feige, Kevin Feige wasn't going to continue that stuff moving on. So it made sense why he shut all that down. But it wasn't like the show was doing poorly or anything like that. It just was Kevin Feige had other plans. And again, the the reason that Kevin Feige is the GOAT and the reason that Kevin Feige is so great is, again, he learns and, and he looks at the responses from fans. And he doesn't just do things his way some things he does his way and it works and and for the most part it it does come out to the benefit but he will listen to fans and he will give fans what they want we've seen him do that obviously in the last couple of years so i think this is one of the things that he clearly was going to listen to when it came to that as well so what do you guys think about Charlie Cox returning, confirmed by the man himself, that he will be returning as Matthew Murdoch, a.k.a. Daredevil? Let me know what you think about that down below and leave your thoughts. And in the last bit of Marvel news that I want to talk about today, and this comes over from us over from Deadline and we're moving away from the Daredevil himself into the world of Shang-Chi, which is, as of right now, the highest grossing domestic film of 2021, probably the most successful film for Marvel Studios this year. And people loved this one when it came out. They loved the new introduction of, of, of Shang-Chi and of Simu Liu in that role. He was fantastic. Last night, actually, it was the People's Choice Awards. And not to give a lot of credence to the people 
people's choice awards, but Marvel Studios did dominate in that field. Black Widow won some awards, Loki won some awards, and also so did Shang-Chi and Simu Lima won for, I believe it was Best Action Star in the film, won for Best Action Movie. So people really did gravitate towards this film and kind of like what Black Panther did, it introduced a lot of people to a brand new community within within the Asian community and Asian Americans and, and, and Pan-Asian Americans as well. It, it introduced a whole diverse culture that we didn't really know about. And I think they had one of the best villains within the MC with Tony Leung portraying the Mandarin. So there was a lot of exciting stuff that came from that film. And it's no surprise really that the man who wrote and directed the film, Destin Daniel Creighton, who did kind of indie films like like Short Term 12, and you also had Just Mercy that came out in 2019, 2020, he's coming back to direct this film. He just did indie films before this, and he came over to the MCU like a lot of film filmmakers te- typically do, and he knocked it out of the park and it makes a lot of sense why they would want him back keep that consistency going and it sounds like he's set to not just work on the sequel but also is set to help create a brand new Disney Plus show within the Marvel Cinematic Universe now they didn't specify deadline on what it would be in in the realm of or what characters would be part of this MC Disney Plus show or would it be within the Shang-Chi corner of the MCU. We, we, we know nothing about it, but if you had to put two and two together and just theorize, it would make sense that the man who helps create all these characters would be helping kind of in usher characters into kind of their own spinoff show. So I think that will be very interesting to see as well. But again, it's the consistency within Marvel at its best uh, again in the fact that they let their creators for the most part do what they need to do other than saying we need certain things to happen throughout it. But other than that, you have free reign to do what you want to do, tell the kind of story you want to tell, introduce the characters for the most part that you want to introduce as well. And it seems like that is exactly what Destin was able to do. And it seems like he's going to continue to do that as well. And I, I, I think one of the interesting things is over the last couple of years, there's been a lot more consistency within the directing realm of the Marvel Studios franchise, really. And because when you look at phase one and phase two, there was a lot of turning over from the director side. I mean, Kenneth Branagh didn't come back for a, the Thor film. There was a lot of issues on the th- on Thor 2 in terms of the directors. They had Patty Jenkins, but then they had creative disagreements. And so they brought in Alan Taylor instead. Joe Johnson, who did Captain America 1, didn't come back for Captain America 2. And I think obviously for the better, for what we got in the future, the Russo brothers came in and did Captain America the Winter Soldier. The rest is history on that front. You had then, of course, from Alan Taylor over to Taika Waititi and doing Thor Ragnarok. And now he seems to be taking over the the Thor franchise and even what happened with the Ant-Man trilogy as well from what we're going to get. It was Edgar Wright who... Obviously, I think a lot of people wish they had an Edgar Wright film, but the way that they were able to turn that over and Peyton Reed turned it into a fun film that was successful both critically and financially and with the fans as well. And now he is kind of foreseeing out three Ant-Man films right now. So uh, there's been a lot more consistency as of late. And even someone like Ryan Coogler with the Black Panther franchise, there's been a lot more less turnover and more stability within that realm. There's always been stability, but just being able to... 
just say, you know what, this director's probably going to come back to direct uh, a sequel or be a part of the, the franchise even more so. And it just it makes sense that Destin would be a part of this in the long run. So it's going to be interesting to see what they create for a sequel to this film, especially if after watching the post credit sequences, where the Ten Rings organization goes, where Shang-Chi and Katie go from here, especially after the first post credit scene where they're kind of introduced to the wider MCU overall with some interesting characters. So it's gonna be very, very peculiar and interesting about where certain things go, the kind of story that they're able to tell, because I think one of the surprising things about this film was the fact that it, w- it had all these my- mystical, mythical, magical elements, but it- at its core, it was a family drama. It was a family film. And it's about a father-son, father-daughter, father-son, mother relationship. It was all those things combined and, and told really, really, really well from the characters' perspectives too, giving us a, a, a kind of sympathetic villain in a way, in a villain that I don't think a lot of people thought they would have any sympathy for, but they were able to do that with the Mandarin. And it's I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see where they go from here. But I'm happy to see him coming back for this one and very interested to see where they go with the, the, the film and the franchise within the MCU going from here. What did you guys think about the news of Death of Daniel Crane coming back for Shang-Chi 2? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And the final bit of movie news that I want to talk about is moving away from the MCU and wrapping it up in the DCEU and specifically has to do with some films coming out next year and some things coming out potentially in the coming future as well. So the first thing, of course, is it's the first look for one of the highly anticipated DC films coming out next year, one that has been in the works for, it seems like, forever. And it finally seems like it's coming out, and this is one of the first true confirmations of that, and that we had some substance to it, and that, of course, is Black Adam, which is starring Dwayne Johnson, directed by Juan Colette Sierra, and we kind of got some, a look at it from DC Fandom this past this past October, where we saw a little clip of kind of Black Adam in the the costume, but we didn't see his full face and the full full costume. It was more kind of robed in. We did get to see the cool lightning bolt, which was awesome. Some of his powers that were really cool, but that was pretty much it. But now we get our first true look at the costume and some story details, and this comes from us over at Total Film and and the the pictures behind the scenes Dwayne Johnson looks I mean A he looks buff as ever I mean as he always does but he looks slim and fit for this role and he looks like he's committed to it 100% he looks good in the costume he looks like he was made for this role as he always says that he is for this and I, I love seeing Dwayne Johnson in a comic book movie role and I think again this kind of role fits him it's a little bit more edgy and I think for Dwayne Johnson he's never had to do anything kind of edgy he's always kind of played the the good guy he's always played the protagonist and Black Adam is a little bit of a different turn from him and I think it's something that showcases something they didn't like in early 2010 with Faster reminds me of that where it's more of a of an anti-hero somebody who isn't all that likable and somebody who's a villain at first but is someone that is can do good things but not might not be for the best reasons or he has good intentions but his actions might not showcase that all the time and seeing these photos it seems like they really put a lot of attention to detail for it and the first thing that you look at of course is 
the costume. And there, there's a crazy story that came out about the costume that makes a ton of sense when you see the pictures. And it has to kind of do with kind of like the padding of it and and how uncomfortable the first suit was. And this is what Dwayne Johnson had to say about putting on the costume for the first time. These are the best costume makers in the business who have done all the most amazing costumes. They're so talented. They come over to the house. I put it on and I effing hate the costume. Everything was padded. So they immediately started to tear and cutting and ripping. When I put that costume on the second time with no padding, just cut it just cut in a way where it was enhancing the work that I put in. I felt he clicks his fingers and beams I'm Black Adam. I wanted to come in not only in the best shape of my career, but also in the kind of shape that was befitting of an unstoppable supervillain who becomes an anti-hero. The easy version was I just continued on the same training regimen, not push myself and find a Black Adam costume that covered my body with some padded muscles in certain places, and no one will ever know. But I prefer to go the opposite way and, I, and really come in in a phenomenal shape and redesign a costume where I didn't need padding. And... First off, when hearing that quote, again, I, I love it. I love it because, again, it talks about the commitment that he has to this. And a lot of actors and actresses get buffed up for their roles they, because it's not just about looking buff. It's about because they like to put themselves in the stunts and, and the, the, the action and, and the, the training that's required of it is physically grueling. But they're not always looking as buff as they actually are and, and they'll have kind of that padding and A, to make it safer and maybe as comfortable as it can. But for somebody like Dwayne Johnson, he's already in that physical status that he's not somebody like a Chris Pratt who, for Chris Pratt, he was somebody that wasn't really in the best shape or or was somebody that wasn't the physical stance that they wanted, that Marvel wanted him to be in. And so he had to change his, his workout regimen, his eating, his dieting and all that stuff and then he kind of transformed in a blink of an eye to what they wanted star lord to look physically and with, with, with dwayne johnson you're not going to need that because he's already there and he, he wants to elevate it even more than he's already at and you can clearly tell within the suit because when, when you when you look at the suit the black adam suit there's definitely it's it's, it's a lot thinner than when you see other costumes from Marvel or DC, when, when you look at it, it looks like just a thin layer of clothing and, and a lot of it, and if you read this quote, is really his buff nature. You look like you can like take a knife and just cut that costume open like butter because there's nothing else in there to work with him. And and and, and that's a testament to, to, to Dwayne Johnson and what he took to get in this. And it shows again the passion and, and again the commitment to wanting to play this part. And and again, the fact that this thing went through so much production hell from so many years and he's still stuck with it tells me how much this really means to him and 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 the role that this could really be for him because it's not just about being a big action star i think he sees this also as him being uh, a being able to act in a, in a way that he hasn't been able to do for a long time so i'm very interested in this movie I, i've loved what i've seen so far but this to me is the best stuff we've seen so far from black adam again i love the look of it i love the bolt where it's got some black into the gold as well seeped into the lightning bolt again it shows off that edginess as well i'm interested to see if we get more of like a cape in a way as well but i love the look of what we get with, with black adam and the potential for this film and again he's always said in every single post 
that Dwayne Johnson has put about this film. He's always said the hierarchy of the DCEU is going to change forever. And looking at this stuff, I can certainly believe that who the hell can take this guy on? Can it be Superman? Can it be Wonder Woman? Who knows? I, I mean, it, it's, it's a very slim list. Could it be Shazam? Which, again, there's a lot of conversation about a crossover maybe down the line between him and Black Adam in, in a future film. But there's also another crossover that people are looking forward to potentially, and that has to do with Superman crossing over and fighting Black Adam. And there's been a lot of conversation and fan theories that get Henry Cavill on board to fight Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam, and people want that. And it seems like, at least when it comes to fighting the Man of Steel, Dwayne Johnson wants that as well. This is what he said also to Total Film. You get one shot out of the gates to build these characters properly. We paid attention to some of the pitfalls that other films had experienced in the past in the world of DC and what rightfully got a lot of fans unhappy and pissed. And as a fan, I was one of them. So let's make sure we respect tradition and mythology, but let's not be handcuffed creatively. We can do anything if we keep the audience first. So to me, there's a battle that's going to go down one day between Black Adam and Superman. I don't know who that Superman is going to be, and I don't know who's going to play him. That's okay. I don't need to know right now, but I'm confident in knowing that. And that's based off of what fans want. We worked back backwards from there so again teasing a potential superman down the line a superman matchup hopefully it is and i want it to i want it to be where the henry cavill a lot of people think it could happen because behind the scenes both both dwayne johnson and henry cavill are managed kind of by the same people they they follow kind of within similar circles in a way so Maybe he's able to make it happen. And I think what's interesting, too, is, is that Dwayne Johnson also took some shots at the DC Universe in a way and talking about some of the creative decisions that happened throughout that maybe he wasn't a big fan of. Now, you could speculate that maybe he's talking about what happened within the Snyderverse and what happened with Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman and Justice League. Now, I don't know if he's talking about Zack Snyder's or maybe the, the Justice League that came out in 2017, the theatrical cut, but... He, who knows but it seems like he when you look at the words such as saying we paid to some of the pitfalls that other films had experienced and that some people were unhappy and unright we want to respect tradition and mythology Zack Snyder's films took some risks and they took some turns that people weren't expecting so those are the only films that I could think of that he's referring to so maybe it's Henry Cavill maybe it's not who knows but get a crossover going with Superman and Black Adam, I am all for that. And, and again, I think it showcases that for a lot of people that maybe want the Snyderverse to happen, uh, this is another thing that's probably not another staple that that's probably not coming that there are there are getting people that are in that mindset that we're going to we're doing our own thing now we're, we're not following that we could take some characters like the Flash is doing or, or what Wonder Woman is doing right now in Aquaman, but we're going to go in our own direction. And this is the direction that they're going in. So we'll see where it goes. But overall, I really, really like the costume. I love what Dwayne Johnson is doing with the dedicated for this it seems like above everything else he's was really focused on getting at least this one right and seems like he is doing that with black adam so i can't wait to see a full trailer whether it's a teaser but i'm hoping to see that costume the 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 powers that we were able to see in that little footage from dc fandom all kind of come together
together in the best way possible, whether it's at the end of this year we get a teaser or at the beginning of next year, because it's coming out at the end of July of, of, of 2022. So we're, we, we have to get a trailer sooner rather than later. And with the Batman coming out, probably around January would probably be the best time that I think we could probably get the first trailer for Black Adam. What did you guys think about the news regarding Black Adam, the first look really of Dwayne Johnson full on the Black Adam costume? Let me know what you thought about it and leave your thoughts. And the final bit of DC news that I want to talk about is actually speaking of the Batman film and all that it will potentially entail for down the line. We did get some confirmation from Variety that Colin Farrell, who will be playing Oswald Coppelbot and Matt Reeves is the Batman, is announced to be coming back to that role for a Penguin spinoff that was also reported to be happening by Variety a couple months ago. And it, it really, what there was no confirmation that Colin Farrell will be returning. It's no brainer, but now it is kind of confirmed, at least by variety sources within Variety and within the trades, that this is he is going to be coming back for this role. And, and if if you've heard reports about the Batman, even though it seems like Colin Farrell has a part to play in it, it seems like he's going to be more on the short end of the runtime and his appearance in this film than others, maybe like the Riddler or Selena Kyle and Catwoman. It, it seems like they're going to be more the focus on the Rogues Gallery than than what what Penguin is going to be. And I think that's intentional. And to me, this is really where it piques my curiosity because I could talk about Colin Farrell all day and, and he looks great in the trailers and Colin Farrell is a terrific actor. I can't wait to see him in the movie. And I if if anything by what we've seen in the trailers is any indication, he's going to be great. He's going to be awesome. And I can't wait to see this iteration of Penguin to come out. What really interests me though about this story is the universe that's being created within Batman. And, and for the first time, it seems like we're going to be getting a fully fleshed out Batman universe that that seems like it's specifically going to be solo for this version of Batman. And I'm really, really excited about that because I love the connected universes and, and the franchises that do it like that with one another, with the MCU, of course, and even within the DCU, like we're going to be getting with the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker or the connectedness of the Flash and, and whatever that's going to be coming out with as well within the main story arc of of the overall DC universe and within the multiverse but within this Batman universe there hasn't been this kind of universal building for one character and we're getting it with this version of Batman and Matt Reeves is the main culprit behind that he's got a potential three film arc that he has for his films and on top of that he's also creating a spinoff from the GCPD and this is the second spinoff to be confirmed before the film even is released that we're getting a second spinoff that involves the Penguin. So the fact that we're getting this stuff, A, before the film co comes out, shows a tremendous amount of confidence that Warner Brothers has with that this is going to be a game changer for them. And that, and the fact that it's it's going to be just for one character and, and one hero within his universe. And, and that really piques my interest because, again, I think within... The comic book world, DC, Marvel, you can't really do that with a whole lot of characters and heroes, but the one of the ones that can really do it 
is Batman. Batman has the, the rogues gallery to do it, where you can just have multiple villains come after him. He has a bunch of interesting characters, and his world is interesting enough that you can just put him in his own universe, and I think people will continue to come back. And there's a reason people, people keep coming back to the character all these years, even though there's been different iterations. For the most part, all the films have been really successful. I think it's because of the popularity of that character. So... For me, I'm really, really curious to see how this all really just kind of, of works and how it all kind of really kind of comes about into the the realm of the Batman and, and how it really kind of comes into effect in this and where it can really kind of go from here. So overall, I am really excited about this Penguin show. Again, because it's Colin Farrell, because it is this version of Penguin that seems like it's gonna just going to be blowing it out of the waters, but also it's because of the universe that we're going to be getting potentially with this as well. So overall, guys, what did you think about this news about Colin Farrell returning as the Penguin? And also, does this get you excited for a strictly Batman-centric universe that we're going to be getting within Warner Brothers and HBO Max. Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts below. I'm really curious to see what you guys think about that. All right, guys, that's it for when it comes to movie news. And again, there was a lot of superhero stuff. Superhero stuff, for the most part, dominated the headlines this week. But now, to wrap up the Sam Bissell podcast, I want to talk about two additional things. I'm going to be, of course, getting into my weekend preview, but I want to start out with, of course, getting into my brand new topic that I'm going to be talking about, and that is my award season roundup. And there were some major things to start off kind of the the brand new award season this year. And it's all kind of about the critics races right now. A lot of a lot of a lot of institutions are putting out their top ten of the year list. So we're really kind of again the, the beginning portion of award season is about really showcasing the field, I think, and really kind of showcasing what films are legit contenders and which one were maybe a little bit more hyped up than they really needed to be. So the the past week or so, we've gotten two major things that have come out from the kind of award season buzz for this year so far. Specifically, the National Board of Review came out with their list of things that are coming out within 2021. And that was, of course, their top 10 list and their awards for what they thought were the best films of the year and also what they thought were the best acting performances of the year. And there were some surprises in here as well. So to kind of run down the list real quick, well, excuse me, quick, I'm going to start out with what they thought were the top 10 films, or really the top films of the year, minus their what they thought was the best film of the year. So they have a, a list of films that they thought were great. It's kind of like their top 9, 10 list. But then they have a film that's the best film of the year, and I'll wait to do that when we get to the list of winners as well. So when it comes to the top films of 2021, it includes Belfast, Don't Look Up, Dune, King Richard, The Last Duel, Nightmare Alley, Red Rocket, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and West Side Story. The top five foreign language films of the year were Vendetta, Lamb, Ngui, The Scared Bonds, 
Tatane and the worst person in the world. So now to kind of go up the list of winners that won some of these awards, we're going to start out with the NBR Freedom of Expression Award, and the winner was Flea. The winner for Outstanding Achievement in Cinematography was Bruno Delbano for The Tragedy of Macbeth. The Best Ensemble Award went to The Harder They Fall. Best Documentary went to Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. Best Foreign Language Film went to A Hero. Best Animated Feature, excuse me, Best animated feature went to Encanto. Best directorial debut went to Michael Cernoski for Pig. Best breakthrough performances were dual winners this year for the same film, and that was for Alana Hayam and Cooper Hoffman in Licorice Pizza. The best, excuse me, the Best Adapted Screenplay Award went to Joe Cohn for The Tragedy of Macbeth. Best Original Screenplay went to Ashar Farhadi for A Hero. Best Supporting Actress went to Ajun Ellis for King Richard. Best Supporting Actor went to Sierra Hins for Belfast. Best Actress went to Rachel Zegler for West Side Story. Best Actor went to Will Smith for King Richard. Best Director went to Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza. And the Best Film winner was Licorice Pizza. And so that was the National Board of Reviews winners. And then in that week as well, there was a list of winners for the first major critic circle to come out this year. And usually it's the, the LA and New York film critic circles are kind of the major ones that people look at for, again, early indicators for what award season could look like. And on that same day, or really kind of a day after the National Board of Review, the New York Critic Circle Awards came out and they also painted a different picture as well for what could be some major major films and that could be in contention as well so the let's start off with the best first film award and that went to maggie gyllenhaal for the lost daughter Best Foreign Language Film went to The Worst Person in the World. Best Nonfiction Film Documentary went to Flea. Best Animated Film went to The Mitchells vs. The Machines. Best Cinematographer went to Janusz Kaminski for West Side Story. Best Supporting Actor went to Cody Smith-McPhee for The Power of the Dog. Best Supporting Actress went to Katherine Hunter for The Tragedy of Macbeth. Best Actor went to Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog. Best Actress went to Lady Gaga for House of Gucci. Best Screenplay went to Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza. Best Director went to Jane Champion for The Power of the Dog. And Best Picture was a surprise winner that not a lot of people saw coming, and it was the foreign language film Drive My Car. So, again, a, a lot of a lot of different award winners that came out, and usually when you look at some of these early awards, there's usually somebody that sticks out a lot. And one that you could say, you know what, that one's starting to get on a little bit of a roll. That could be potentially be a front runner for somebody that is winning all of these awards. That is just it's just that person's name that you see all the time. And with a lot of these critic circles, even if you look at the Detroit Critic Circle uh, Critic Society nominations, you look at the Washington D.C. Area Film Critics Association nominees and the winners of the Detroit Atlanta, they all really kind of come up with different different winners for the most part. I mean, when you, when you look at the Atlanta film critics, Licorice Pizza was, was another big winner there. That seems to be one that is gaining a lot of momentum so far, but you look at people such as Benedict Cumberbatch has won a couple of awards, but you also have Kristen Stewart winning some of these critics circle awards for Spencer, Rachel Zegler, who I give major, major props to for a quick turnaround last week where West Side Story legit premiered for everyone last week. And it, it has ended up on a lot of critics 
Athletics Top 10 of the Year awards in just a span of a day or really a span of a week or so now. And Ariana DeBose has gotten some wins and nominations as well. So it, it seems like it's kind of an up and down roller coaster so far. But the ones that have really stood out to me so far is West Side Story because of the quick turnaround. It's ended up on a lot of people's lists and a lot of awards players lists as well for a lot of, of some acting, some cinematography as well. But also one of the big winners so far is Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson's latest. It's been on a lot of top critics lists for the best film overall of 2021. And I haven't done a review on Licorice Pizza, so I'll do a little one here. I love that film and I can totally understand why the acting is getting a lot of recognition the screenplay, the direction, it's all just incredible. It is just such a fun, entertaining kind of throwback to kind of 70s cinema in a way that Paul Thomas Anderson knows and, and, it, and it feels very much kind of like Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for me where it's just very laid back and chill and I think critics really kind of gravitated towards that and I can understand that. Power of the Dog is another one where I've seen a lot of people crown Jane Champion as, as the best director on their list and Benedict Cumberbatch I think is going to be a, a major, major player and I think this year so far the three that I would consider frontrunner potential for best actor would be Will Smith for King Richard, would be Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog, and would be Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boo. I'm not counting him out. That's my personal favorite, so I'm going to keep him in until either Will Smith or Benedict Cumberbatch or even somebody else start running away with wins. Uh, he's going to be on my list until something else really kind of comes about. But seeing Cody Smith McPhee for The Power of the Dog, he was great in that film. And that film overall was great as well. I, I think it's it's a slow burner, but where it kind of reaches its climax at is, is powerful and poignant. And it really, really, I think, leaves its mark at the ending of the film. But the buildup of it is also lead, is where it counts and leading up to those last 20 25 minutes of the film. I, it, it's a credit to what Jane Champion did on the script, but also as a director in that film as well. So overall, again, it's it, it's right out of the gate. It's up and down. It's and this is the roller coaster of award season. It's zigging when it should be zagging. It's zagging when it should be zigging, and it, it's 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 unexpected and 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 and. and it's expected. It's so many different things at the same time. And that's the beauty of it. That's why I love award season. I know a lot of people who I keep talking to. This is the start of one of the best times of the year. So it's going to be very interesting to see. And again, this is just kind of the precursors of, of what we're going to be getting in the next couple of, of months. And I think for the the ones that are really going to have an impact that I think you should really kind of look out for. I think the Critics' Choice Awards are going to be one to look out for. The nominations for the film side come out on December 13th. The Golden Globes, I'll talk about a little bit later on, but I think that is going to be one that is an interesting discussion. The last couple of years, they've very much been kind of the official start of award season with the Hollywood Foreign Press, and, and they have a lot of meaning to what could really kind of gain a lot of momentum during the season. But because of all the activity and controversy from the HFPA the last year or so, it's going to be very interesting seeing the kind of weight that those nominations are going to have, even the wins themselves. So I wouldn't really count my 
my eggs with the Golden Globes this year, at least. The other ones, the Annie Awards, when it comes to animation, are ones to keep an eye out for, but it's really going to be the Guild Awards. Once again, it's always it's the Guild Awards because the guilds are basically a lot of the the, the voting members there are from the the are making up the branches of the academy. Specifically, the SAG is a big branch and makes up a, a large voting body of the academy. But those are the ones that I think are always the biggest impact for the indication of where the Oscars could potentially go. And and of course, there's always surprises. There's always going to be that within the season, but those. Those are the ones to really kind of look out for when it comes to the award season race. But it's officially off now. We're off to the races. And in these next couple of weeks are going to be very interesting to see where the early indicators for films are going to go, who we consider frontrunners at this, at this point, who could change up the status, who has the momentum going into the new year. It's going to be very interesting to see. But there's no time like award season time. And it is just beginning here, especially on the Sam Bissell podcast. So what did you guys think about these winners if you've checked them out? Out. Have you checked out any of these films? Have are you, these films you're going to be checking out before the year is out? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to talk about on the Sam Bissell podcast today, guys, is of course my annual weekend preview, giving you guys the look at what is coming up this week and what you should be excited to be checking out in theaters or also on streaming. And of course, this is, of course, the big weekend before the big storm with Spider-Man No Way Home. But there are some interesting things to check out this weekend in theaters. And it's all led by, of course, the highly anticipated musical adaptation of both the 1957 musical and the 1961 adaptation of said Broadway musical in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, which stars Ansel Elgort, Rachel Zegler, who is a brand newcomer, Ariana DeBose, Rita Moreno comes back to this film. It is screenplayed by Tony Kushner. The list goes on and on and on for what could be a special, special film. I'm seeing it tomorrow for its Thursday preview screenings. So I'll definitely have a review coming out on my social media in the next couple of days and also have a review for it over the weekend. But also, I'm really, really looking forward to checking out the buzz for this because Again, for me, I was a little skeptical about this film. I think like I think a lot of other people were, but I always came around to the fact of you never bet against Steven Spielberg ever. Really, really ever. And this is his first really kind of full-on musical that he's doing. It's featuring a bunch of newcomers that you don't the only person that really you've heard of in the main cast is probably Ansel Elgort. You have some supporting characters like Corey Stoll and of course the legendary Rita Moreno is coming back for this in a different role but everyone else are newcomers that have been either on Broadway or are just starting out like Rachel Zegler is and they're getting so much love at the at award season right now and the reviews have just been skyrocketing. It's got I believe around a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. I'm just going to check it out real quick just to be certain of that because it's probably updated but again it's just been getting great it's got 96 right now not even at 94 it's just been getting so much positive buzz and I think I think it's bigger buzz than people even ever thought because even I had it pegged maybe at 75% to like 
mid to low 80s, but I never expected this. And again, it, it seems like it's able to capture the the magic of the 61 movie and the play, but also because there's a lot of controversy in, 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 in the history of the making of West Side Story, it seems like Steven Spielberg was able to make it more authentically accurate this time around. And it seems like this was a a updated adaptation that maybe a lot of people didn't think need to happen but again if there's one person that you don't bet against it's it's this guy you don't you don't bet against the goat it's like if you were to bet against lebron james or if you were to bet against michael jordan or tom brady this is what happens when you bet against the goat the goat's going to prevail in the end and it seems like even though this is one that seemed like a tall task steven spielberg's taken on tall tasks before this is the man that is a chameleon within genres i mean he's done he's done drama He's done horror. He's done comedies, rom-coms. That's probably the only genre that hasn't worked out for him. But action, action adventure, thriller, sci-fi, nobody else has done what Steven Spielberg has done in his filmography. That's why he's considered the greatest of all time. I consider him to be the greatest. I really, really do. I I consider him to be amongst the greatest, but... Maybe when I see this, I'll, I'll definitely consider him the GOAT, but he definitely is the, the greatest of all time in what he's really been able to, to do. And being able to do with this cast and, and, and reimagine a musical, it seems like for so many people, it sounds like he was able to pull it off. And again, it's amazing to see in such a quick turnaround. And I've never really seen that before with the movie. Nightmare Alley has done it a little bit. It's been on a couple lists as well. But having people like Rachel Zegler on, on, on Best Actress Award nominations and winning like the National Board of Review or Ariana DeBoe winning Best Supporting Actress for some of these critic circles a week, week and a half really now since the film released, it's incredible. It really, really, really is. And, and it's such a quick turnaround like that where they're already winning awards, being nominated for awards. It's incredible. So we'll see where, how it really ends up. Again, I'll have my reaction tomorrow when I see it in theaters and I'll have my full reaction on the podcast sometime during the weekend my social reviews will come out tomorrow so it's here it's it's time for steven spielberg time and we'll see how this movie does i think this is going to be one that again it's going to rely on audience members that might be a little bit older that might be a little bit still hesitant especially with the omicron variant coming out might still be a little little bit hesitant of going to the movies we'll see but maybe this is one that transcends and you get a lot more people to go to the movies for this one hopefully it, it ends up being more of a of a profitable film than even what what in the heights did because in the heights was getting great reviews as well like this and unfortunately just didn't do well and that was at a time when the pandemic was before the delta variant even came along was subsiding people were excited to go back to the movies and and go back out at outdoors and and in in the heights just bombed at the box office unfortunately it was a great film but financially just didn't do that well so hopefully this film can do a little bit better and especially with the name like steven spielberg behind it it it, it doesn't have it, it's not one it's one that holds weight but it's not one that makes 700 million dollars but again you don't you go because it's steven spielberg and you don't know how many more this guy is going to do and again if you consider him the goat then you want to watch what the goat's doing next with his work and it seems like he pulled off another master effort with west side story i will definitely let you know about it tomorrow when i go see it with my good friend jason abdow but that is definitely the big one coming out this weekend but another film that wasn't on my radar until a couple months ago that i'm actually very interested in seeing is called national 
Champions, and it's basically about it's it's on the eve of the kind of basically their version of the college football national championship game and it's about this big star future prospect that is said to be a great nfl player and it really has to to do with the the pay quality of student athletes and the kind of the ncaa and the the administrative offices and the pay disparity between there and, and how college athletes should be getting paid the same or are on the same par as as athletes in, in in professional sports and it's actually something that is very relevant today especially if you follow the sports world really the, the name image and likeness was just reversed into allowing college athletes to actually benefit off of themselves and being able to make money and profit while they're still in college and so i think this film is is more important than ever i really gravitated towards it it's got a phenomenal cast that includes stefan james alexander ludwig jk simmons it's just an absolutely incredible incredible group of people that are in front of the camera and also behind it as well and this is stx and and for the most part they put out some good films as well but sometimes you get films that just creep up behind you and this is definitely one of them that did again i'm a big sports fan i love sports movies and something that i've been following a lot and 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 how big the the name image and likeness is especially around collegiate athletics is uh, very big and and again it's very relevant for this film to come out so I'm, i'm curious to see how it does it's not getting a whole lot of buzz which is unfortunate because uh, again this isn't something that i heard from months ago i only heard about it maybe a month month and a half ago really when the first trailer came out so hopefully i'm I'm interested to see it hopefully i check it out this weekend and i will definitely let you guys know what i thought about it and then another film that's set to come out on netflix this week is the unforgivable and that is with sandra bullock and viola davis and this is one that i've heard middling reviews about i've heard sandra bullock is pretty good in it but Again, it's definitely not one that has been on my radar. Probably, I might check it out this weekend. I love Sandra Bullock, Viola Davis. You get me both of them in a movie together. I'm definitely not not going to check it out. So definitely one that seems maybe not so much as an Oscar qualifier as maybe if you looked at it on paper, it could have potentially been with two Academy Award winners. But it seems like definitely one that you could get interested in because of the star power. But again, not one that is on my radar like West Side Story National champions are but those are really the three films that are coming up this weekend that i think people should at least give a chance at or definitely keep an eye on if you were to ask me to rank them again it'd be west side story national champions and then the unforgivable and again i will have reviews for at least two of these films probably all three sometimes this week sometime this weekend on the podcast and again west side story is going to be i think a big film but Again, this is kind of the little calm before the major storm that is set to come out next weekend with Marvel Studios' Spider-Man No Way Home. So what do you guys think about these films coming up this weekend in the lead up to the next Spidey adventure? Again, West Side Story National Champion, The Unforgivable. Which one are you looking forward to? And if it is West Side Story, how much are you looking forward to West Side Story? Why are you going to check out this new West Side Story? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You check me out on 
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Goal Driven Professionals, Geared Toward Improving Client Relations, Return on Investment, and Customer Acquisition Costs for Independent Businesses and Services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get me a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Fissel Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Everyone, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening. <laughs>